freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you're a manager. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Yes, hello, hello out there. It is the Brock and Salk Show, Seattle Sports on 710. SeattleSports.com and the Seattle Sports app, plus all the podcast platforms. Hopefully, you're finding us through one of those and able to uh, catch up with us a little bit later. If the timing doesn't work for you to do it early in the morning, don't worry. Every podcast platform, we're there, and we can come hang out with you whatever time is convenient for you. We're just trying to make your life easy, which is what the Mariners have done for us for most of this year. What a what a strange and bizarre twist and turn you never know where it's going next kind of a story. I, I saw Oppenheimer. I knew the end of that. Like, I knew he was going to figure it out. I, I like I, I had a I don't know if it was predictable or what you would say, but like I had a fairly good sense of where that movie was going from start to finish. It had a clear end point. Mariner season, not so much. Weird. <laughs> a little bit more like uh, usual suspects or something. Like yeah. there's some twists and turns that maybe you're not expecting. We were joking on Friday that it was like a Night Shyamalan movie. Yes. I don't know that I've seen any of them, but I think really? it's... I saw the stupid Unbreakable one. I never saw anything else. it's not because those are usually a letdown in the end. That's true. Like a lot of buildup for nothing. Yeah, I'm kind of out on those, to be honest (laughs) with you. So, yeah, Justin, why don't you take that back? Okay. Too too early for (laughs) something. You didn't like The Sixth Sense either or any of those? I never saw The Sixth Sense. Wow. Yeah. That's fine. Never saw it. I'm not not surprised now. I'm not interested in that, to be honest with you. Not something that does for me. I went to go see Oppenheimer on Wednesday, and I... It was great. Absolutely loved it. You know, he basically took a story like JFK, but instead of doing it like Oliver Stone, did it like an action movie. It was fascinating. It's and terrific. just really interesting and wonderfully acted and written and directed and you know, everything. Tremendous. Beforehand, before Oppenheimer, they put out a full like five minute preview for the new Exorcist movie. Whoever is responsible for that should be drawn and quartered. I didn't even think about that. I, I was on Oppenheimer s- twice, and I saw that preview twice. Twice? Yeah. I had my eyes closed the entire time. I have zero. See, when this I is say, why he didn't see Sixth Sense. He just doesn't I don't like scared. horror movies. I have no interest in being scared. It is not a, a feeling that I have any desire to feel ever. Okay, I get it. Why is it allowed to put that? Like, I don't want that content. Please don't show that it. to me before a movie. It's just a preview. You never seen a movie for a preview for a movie you didn't want to see. Before? That one looked much more terrifying. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty egregious. I will say it's an egregious preview. Because and like, unlike other, like, okay, yes, there I've seen previews for movies I don't want to see, and I'm like, all right, whatever, I don't want to see that. But horror is in a completely different category because for some people, when we see it, it affects us for like years later, sure. which and- I'm not interested in in a promo for a movie I actually want to see. The Exorcist is one of those movies that, like, everyone knows, so they don't have to worry about spoiling anything in the trailer. So they really give quite a bit right. of it in that trailer. You're just like, oh, wow, that is incredibly <laughs> creepy. Really, so really anyway, dark. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to get distracted and talk through all of that. I had a great couple of days off, and, and we're going to talk a ton of Mariners today. I thought I would mention to you briefly that uh, went to concert Saturday night, saw Smashing Pumpkins, Stone Temple Pilots. It was phenomenal. Justin, a lot of... Uh, 
A lot of ranked fans. I believe that. Yep, a lot of ranked it's a fans. Good place to find them. Yeah, we got to have some ranked suggestions that came from some folks. So awesome. I'll throw those to you a little later, and we'll see if maybe one of them works today. But a uh, lot of lot of big fans of, of specifically you and, and what you bring to the ranked table, <laughs> which is great. Cool. Um, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins kind of started going through you know, how they're from Chicago and everybody used to think they were from Seattle and James used to get upset about that and they kind of go back. Anyway, it led to him talking about the 12th man and how it was an unfair advantage and everybody was cheering, right? And then he mentioned something about Russ. Dude, everyone there booed. Wow. He's still taking boos another year later and like hearty ones. Like it's hard to get a, a rock concert crowd to boo. There's not a lot of reasons to boo at a concert, right? You know what you're getting. And unless, like, the band is specifically mean to its audience, they don't boo. They're there to cheer. Right. He got an entire crowd to boo just by mentioning Russ's name. Dude, out of control. Just absolutely out of control. So I thought you guys would appreciate that. So you didn't get to watch Saturday's game is what you're saying? Saturday is the one I didn't get to watch. I watched uh, most of the other games. So I know it kind of came with Julio getting upset and a little bit of good luck with the ball. Uh, Moore is going to take us through all of it and around the weekend here at 630. So if you missed any of them because you had other things to go to, you know, cool. Um, You know, Moore will take us through it and and I will learn a little bit about what happened on Saturday also. But, you know... (laughs) We're going to spend a lot of today asking a question that we've tried to answer all year long, but now it gets sort of flipped on its head. Why? Right. And this is this is where I've always told Brock that baseball is the best sport for sport for sports radio. But in some ways, it's the worst because in most sports, it's a lot easier to answer why. Or at the very least to have a couple of reasons that together add up to a why, right? In football, the team lost. Why? Well, this play, this moment, this call, this player, like I think it's pretty easy to pinpoint. In baseball over time, why are these things happening? The answer is going to frustrate a lot of people. I don't think anyone wants to hear it, and I know Brock doesn't want to hear it when he comes on at 7 o'clock because the word luck should never factor into sports. Guess what? It does. I don't know how else to tell you. It does factor into baseball. Not you got lucky to get a hit. You got unlucky to get a hit. I don't mean like that. I mean timing. Luck and timing. Right? If if J.P. Crawford comes up five times in a game and gets two hits, those two hits could be early in the game. They could come with two outs and nobody on base and get stranded there immediately. And they mean jack squat. He did a great job during those at bats, but they don't mean anything to the to the to the result of the game. And if JP Crawford comes up in the eighth inning with two men on and slaps a single the other way, they mean a lot. They mean a whole lot more. That one hit can be worth more than the two hits earlier. Is that skill? A little bit, right? There is an element of approach. There is an element of calming your heart rate and staying under control and there is a, an amount of of trying to, you know, hard work that goes into prep and plan, et cetera. Yeah, there's some, but guess what? Some of it's also just luck because you're doing something that is that is just not going to be successful more than 30% of the time. Mm-hmm. That makes it a game that has some of that luck. And for the first three to four months, three months of this season, the Mariners had bad timing. 
I won't call. I won't say they had bad luck because I think that sounds like a cheap excuse for them. They had bad timing. They really did. They couldn't come up with the big hit in the big moments. They were striking out too much. I mean, like they were contributing to it by not playing great. And th- that shouldn't be ignored. But they also had some bad timing. And with three or four hits in key moments, their record is totally different. And they're right there, you know, two, three games behind Texas right now. Mm-hmm. Can you also chalk up one thing that you said that you've, you know they haven't done? Is give up, give up. Like I know, that, and, and, you can't and I know there's a lot of people no out there who've given up on the manager, yeah. and they would like for him to be let go, etc. But guess what? His team kept playing. They kept fighting hard. They kept prepping hard. They kept doing all those things. And now, over the last five weeks, the Mariners have had good timing. Their timing's been impeccable. When they need a big hit, they get it. Right when they when they need to beat a team, they do. When Cade Marlowe comes up in the ninth inning against an all-star closer, he hits a freaking bomb to win the game instead of not. And, you know, I I think it's challenging when a narrative takes hold of a team. And I think it did in this case. And for three months, that narrative was given more and more evidence and life and it grew. And now over the last five weeks, the Mariners have been steadily destroying it. And it'll take some time because once a narrative takes hold, it's a really hard thing to turn it around and turn it into something else. But they've played the kind of baseball that absolutely deserves to change that narrative. They've played good ball. Their pitching has never wavered and their bats have turned it around. The bats are better. They're coming up with the big hits and the big moments. And some of the bad luck, timing, whatever word fortune you want to use from the first three months of this season is starting to turn and even out, which is exactly what it's supposed to do. So they're working hard, and they found their way through it, and they've made some key moves to help them as well. I mean, there's some changes in personnel that have been relevant. You can kill Jerry DePoto for not making some of the right moves this offseason. He deserves it. You can also praise him for some of the moves he's made in season to help this team balance out. He did acquire Mike Ford, who had a hot month. He did acquire Jose Caballero a couple of years ago, who's come in and helped. He did acquire Cade Marlowe and develop him, and he's come in and stepped in for Kelnick, and that has worked, right? I mean, like, you got to go both ways with those things. Yes, he also acquired Caballero, he, uh, uh, Colton Wong and other guys who haven't worked out, A.J. Pollock, but he acquired some that have. And on balance, this team, what'd you say, Justin, at 60 and 52 is one game better than when they were this point a year ago. One game better, despite everything they went through in the first three months of this season. Is everything still right in front of them? You better bet your butt it is, because this team has less than two months to go, and they are right in the thick of everything. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Mariners, guess what? They are the hottest team in baseball. They win their fifth game in a row. Seven of eight. Eleven of their last 13. This, this is the run they've been waiting for. It comes courtesy of a four-game sweep in Anaheim. If I mention how much I love the Angels of Anaheim, what a great organization they are. Full of really cool players and wonderful ownership, management, fan base, park, you name it. What a wonderful, wonderful place to go for a Four game sweep. They're first there since 2005, and they did it every which way. Come from behind grand slams, low scoring pitcher duels yesterday, an extra inning affair that featured a clutch hit from the RBI leader. 
Three balls, two strikes. Maria set. Here's his pitch. Swung on, smoked, left field line, down for a base hit. Ty France screaming around third base. He's being waved in. He will score standing. Julio into third, and he is out at third. Julio came off the base. He was tagged. He is out, but the Mariners have the lead. It's 3-2 to two in the 10th inning. Yeah, it sure was. They uh, end up getting the win. Sacedo goes scoreless in the 9th and the 10th to end up coming away with that victory. And Julio kind of eased off the hook there thanks to Sacedo because that was a bonehead play, not sliding into third base, not taking that moment as seriously as he needed to. But overall, this is the team they were built to be. Honestly, this is the team they were supposed to be. Home runs, big hits from their stars, JP and others getting on base, good defense, very good defense, a pitching staff that should put the fear of God into anyone if this team does find their way into the playoffs. This is the team that they were built to be, and they're finally living it out, which is great. Mariners remain six back in the divisions. Rangers win as well. They're uh, still two and a half back in the wild card, but they have left past the Angels, Yankees, and Red Sox. So nothing between them and Toronto and then Houston after that. Rangers, uh, I suppose, would be right in their sights as well if and when they falter. should note the Texas lost all-star third baseman Josh Jung this weekend to a fractured thumb. So, you know, Biggio is out for the Blue Jays. You can play some good ball. Keep this style of baseball. I don't mean you're going to win five games in a row over and over again, but keep playing this style of baseball, and they are absolutely capable of catching a few of the teams ahead of them. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, a big welcome back to Reek Woolen. I guess really it's a welcome because he's always been Tariq Woolen, but now he's Reek, and I'm having some difficulty remembering that, writing it, and hearing it as well. But I'm going to do the best I can because that's what he wants to be called. The second-year corner passed his physical yesterday and joined practice for the first time since off-season knee surgery, at least in walkthrough. Oh, oh Tariq, oh, it's great to get him back. Yeah, he comes off pup today. Uh, his workouts have been extraordinary, and, and uh, we can't keep him on any longer. He's just too, too close. We're still going to take care of him and make sure that we get him back to, to the football movements and the football kind of changes directions and things in more competitive situations. He took individual today, and it'll be a little different tomorrow in, in the process. But And this week, we'll be really quiet this week, and we won't give him a lot of work. But we're, we're stressing him in the workouts, in the rehab work, to make sure that he's getting there. And he feels great. He's really confident in it, and we're going to make him be begging to get back out there. Yeah, you follow all of that. It does make for a crowded secondary. Four legitimate starting options at corner, three at safety. Uh, one of them was going to join us today uh, as Love will join us at 730. Um, competition. That's what Pete's looking for, and he certainly has it all over his secondary. Unfortunately, the news not quite as good at wide receiver as Derek Young is dealing with what may be some sort of a sports hernia. And now D. Eskridge going to miss the first six games of the season for violating the league's personal conduct policy. We don't have all the details, but he did release a statement saying that he was involved in a domestic violence incident with the mother of his child. The statement says that he is starting therapy, but to miss six games be very interesting to see what it looks like when uh, all the news comes out. I, I will also say I don't have a lot of patience for this, right? I, and especially even more so for a guy who hasn't done jack squat on the field in two years. I don't know why it's worth keeping him around. I don't know why you continue to allow a guy like that on your team. 
I would roll maybe when Derek Young is healthy, they'll make a change in that regard because I would just roll with him and feel pretty good about it. Running back Kenny McIntosh uh, had a knee sprain in the game uh, on uh, what Saturday night? When was the mock game? Saturday night? Friday night? Friday, Friday, Friday night? Excuse me. Uh, so that running back room is a little bit thin. And uh, we learned a little bit about what's going on in the battle for the center position after the game. Pete said, yeah, they've got someone in the lead, and it's Evan Brown. Yeah, uh, we, you know, we continue to, to see it going in a, in a competitive sense. Uh, Evan's ahead. He's ahead just because of his experience. And so if we were playing today, he would go first. And uh, um, Older's doing a great job. He hasn't had anything negative about any other. His, his wrist was sore for a couple of days that held him back. But other than that, he's right in there, and, and the competition continues. He sure is, and I still have a feeling he's going to be the long-term starter when it's all said and done. Here's the third thing you need to know. Oh, man, the writing's obviously been on the wall for a while, but it finally just got bolded, underlined, italicized on Friday. The Pac-12 all but dead, down to just four teams after UW and Oregon depart for the Big Ten, after Arizona schools and Utah join the Big 12. The whole thing is just incredibly sad. It sounds like we will still see Apple Cups and other traditional rivalries. Jen Cohen, UW athletic director, saying that they do want to make sure they play Wazoo every year. Um, I've had a chance to talk to Pat Chen yesterday. I think many of you know he's a dear friend of mine, and we're both really committed to this series and committed to the state and all of our fans, not just for football, but for all of our sports. Uh, We are still working on the complexities of our football schedule in general. Uh, for the future years. So Pat and I will continue to work on the best plan to play the Apple Cup every year. Well, obviously that would be good news. But look, the Huskies are going to be at a competitive disadvantage in the Big Ten. They're not getting the same cut of revenue as the rest of the conference does. Same with Oregon. Things are obviously even worse, dire for Wazoo. I don't know what happens now. I don't know how they can claim to be a major program in the conference that they're in based on who would be left to join that conference. And I don't know where else they would go. So that is the Mountain West Conference is what's being floated. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what you would almost have to do, but that's not Power Five, now Power Four football. It is not in the same league as what the Huskies in Oregon will be playing in, uh, you know, that's with Montana and Montana. That's just a different type of football, right? Yeah. I guess it's not Montana. I guess that's that's one double. We've got like Air Force and San Diego State. And what are we doing? That's everything you need to know. Uh, we'll do that quarter past every hour. You're right. It's not the Montana, Montana State. That's all uh, FCS, FB, FCS. You know, can't they just go back to 1A, 1AA? Like, was that really <laughs> so hard? We needed to change it to FCS and FBS just to confuse me and make me, like, think through the acronym every time? Jeez. All right. Uh, let's move it along. Uh, Brock, of course, we'll talk some more about that when he gets in at 7 o'clock. It's, it's a sad situation. Really, it is. Both, and even for UW, going to the Big Ten, like, it, it's not the way this is supposed to be. And it is, it is very, very ugly. But coming up next, uh, more will take us through. A busy weekend in mostly baseball, but other things as well. I'll give you a hint. There's a lot of wins. This will be the happiest around the weekend we've had in ages. And it's next. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. This is going to be a great around the weekend. More, not that I don't always look forward to you taking us around the weekend on a Monday. I do. I love it. It, Like, I always look forward to it. But sometimes, you know, we've had to skip through games. They're like, yeah, nobody wants to hear this. Let's just move it along. Like, you know, that happens. Today, 
This is an around the weekend that I would think everybody can get behind. So if you're it's on your way all to work, sunshine and rainbows for the Mariners. Right well, now. good because it was like the first weekend that wasn't sunshine here in Seattle. Yeah, what's and up with that? It was a bunch yeah. of garbage, Justin, is what it was. It was like some reminder that fall is right around the corner oh as football God. starts. Weekend. It's supposed it was to be still hot. still nice out. I went to Seahawks no, practice it yesterday. It was still like almost 80. It rained. It was... <laughs> no, it was actually pretty nice. Mora, take us around. And... All righty. Starting off on Friday, uh, which is the one you said you didn't get to see, right? So we'll no, Saturday. Oh, I saw okay. a lot of Friday. All right. Well, the Mariners got to Angels pitcher Reed Detmers early, taking a 5-1 lead in the second, but the Angels weren't going down without a fight. In the bottom of the third, Luis Castillo loaded up the bases and then gave up a home run to Mike Moustakis to tie the game at 5-5. Castillo was able to get out of that inning um, after that, and in the fourth, Julio pulled the M's ahead with this two-run shot. Well, I should probably get to my spot on the cut sheet here. Here we go. Next off for the way, swinging a high drive deep into the gap. In right center field, Moniak going back to the wall, looking up, and goodbye baseball! Julio Rodriguez with an opposite field. Two-run home run with two outs. Here in the top of the fourth inning, the Mariners' third home run of the game. And it's now the Mariners' seven and the Angels' five. What a ball game here at the Big A. Some big home runs. Yeah, ball is flying out of that ballpark on Friday, that's mm-hmm. for sure. It just seemed like everything was destined to leave the park. And, you know, look, if the Mariners score seven runs, you kind of expect that to be enough most nights, especially with Castillo on the mound, as good as he's been. It wasn't. We continue to go through this one. Oh, yeah. So the back and forth continued as Mickey. I always want to say Mickey Moniak. But it's Mickey Moniak. Moniak. Yeah, Mickey Moniak. Number one overall pick. Mickey Moniak hit a two-run home run in the bottom of the fifth to tie it again at 7-7. This was the first time Luis Castillo had allowed more than six runs in his entire time with the Mariners. Yeah, look, he's been good. You're going to excuse him the occasional off night. Mm -hmm. Let's just hope it's that and that, you know, it's not the beginning of something. That's the only concern I would ever have is like, you know, generally when ace pitchers like him give up seven runs or whatever it was, there's a reason for it. They're tipping pitches. They're hurt. We don't know about it yet. So, yeah, I'm not saying he is one of those things. Sometimes guys just have an off night. But I'll be, you know, monitoring that next start a little bit more closely (laughs) just to make sure. Well, at least like you said, uh, he, like, it was going out of the park on both sides. (laughs) He caught the right night for it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. Let me find my spot here. Sorry, guys. The M's loaded up the bases on walks to start the six, but they were unable to drive in any runs. They were able to take the lead again in the eighth when Julio doubled and Eugenio Suarez drove him home. Of course. I know. That's what he does. Um, This happened to be a pretty special one, though. We'll talk about that after I play this. Here's the pitch of the way. Swinging a ground ball up the middle. Into center field for a base hit. Julio Rounding third being waved in. The throw to the plate is not in time. Julio scores. Eugenio with an RBI single. It gives the Mariners an 8-7 lead. So get that ball out of the ballgame. A souvenir for Eugenio Suarez. RBI is now in 10 consecutive games. That is a Mariner record. And it gives the Mariners an 8-7 lead. I mean, anytime you're breaking Edgar Martinez's franchise records, you're doing something, right? Yeah, Ribby's in 10 straight. Um, you know, those two guys, if you want to point to any specific reason why the Mariners have played so well in the last five weeks, there's a bunch. A bunch of people will take parts of the credit. 
but when they've really gotten hot, last 13 games, those two dudes. Yep. Definitely. Julio and Suarez, two guys mm-hmm. that had lousy first halves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've needed that desperately, and it has seemed to make a huge difference. Uh, Cal Raleigh also added a solo shot for insurance in the ninth. Matt Brash was in to close it out, and Oof. it was a nail-biter Oof. after he allowed a single and a walk to start out. Uh, he then struck out Otani, Crone, and Mike Moustakas, hit a fly ball to end the game. Uh, this was Scott Service talking about his performance, Brash's. I see a, a young guy with electric arm, great stuff, confidence is growing, and, um, you know, we're fortunate. We have him and Mooney with that kind of arm, that kind of stuff, the backside of the bullpen, but these young guys are going to get experience. That's where we're at. I don't want to run anybody in the ground. Mooney was down tonight, so Brash steps up and was able to get it done. So a huge confidence boost for him. Uh, he's electric. He's got great stuff, and, and I know that's what Tom Murphy said to him. There's nobody we'd rather have on the mound right now. Go after him, and he got it done. Yeah, so watching that whole thing play out on Friday night, I will admit to being pretty frustrated with Cade Marlowe. And you're not going to get mad. The guy just had, like, the biggest night imaginable the night before. Yeah, sorry. Right? I didn't put the moment that stood out to you. No, it's fine. In here. It just sort of, well, it's a, it doesn't have great audio, right? I mean, it's a leadoff bloop single. But in that moment, I told you, I just kind of have my eyes on his defense. Love what he's done at the plate. Love the plate discipline. Love the contact ability. Love the pop. Love the ability to run. Like, there's a lot to like about what we've seen from Cade Marlowe so far. They may have something. We'll see. But the defense is something that, for his athleticism, doesn't seem to have great natural instincts. Whether yeah. it's the first step or, as Justin, you said, the last step of, like, <laughs> a lot of stabbing at the ball and just... Just makes me a little nervous out there. Yeah, well, there's just like a little bit of newborn baby deer to him. Uh-huh. <laughs> just a little nerves or something. I don't know what it is. Maybe he'll just, you know, grow out of it. Maybe he's just a little uncomfortable right now. True. I don't know. Yeah. But that was a ball where I think you probably got to die for it. You got to sell out. And now all of a sudden you got a bloop single man on first. Otani coming up. And you're like, this game can turn like that. I mean, you get the best hitter in baseball, certainly the best power threat in baseball, lefty against Brash. And instead, Brash just totally tunes it up, strikes out Otani, and it was a fantastic moment. That was, honestly, once he got Otani, I had I felt very good that that game was over. But good on him, man. That is that that is a credit to, to Brash and a credit to the way he's been developed even this year. I don't just mean coming up through the minors, but this year, how many times has he been in situations like that in the seventh? That's how they've used him. Hey, man, you're our get-out-of-trouble guy. Well, when his left fielder didn't help him, I'm not saying he hurt him, wasn't an error, but when his left fielder didn't help him and it caused some trouble on Friday, he got himself right back out of it. Huge, huge, huge game for Matt Brash. And you talk a lot about timing and baseball and luck and all these things, like the timing of when Seawald left to where these guys are in their development and confidence and, and roles. Yep. That I don't think you would have done that. I see yeah, timing there is is the Mariners recognizing we can do this now. Yeah. We've grown some of these youngsters up and we can afford to bring in more players because we've got somebody coming up after them. All right, Saturday, uh, George Kirby was fantastic, going seven seven innings, giving up just one earned run, no walks, and striking out five. That was his 16th quality start this season, which is second in MLB, and his ninth quality start with no walks, which leads the MLB. So good. Wow. So good. I know. So good. <laughs> um, we we also saw Julio get angrier than we've ever seen before yeah, in the first. What happened here? I didn't get to see this game. What happened? at second. 
It was like it was unclear immediately what happened, and then I saw Shannon post that on the replay. Uh, you could see that uh, the umpire interfered with Wallach's arm; it got caught in his mask on the throw, and then, and then also she said it looked like Renhifo spiked Julio in the hand when he slid into second. Mm, Here's what Julio had to say afterwards. I mean, honestly, you know, it was while we're on the southern base, and given the the games that we're playing right now. Given the effort that we all put it in, whenever I, whenever I got to second, I step up. I said, "Oh, you gotta go back because there was an umpire interference." You know, I was like, I got a little bit down on it. It's like, man, we're playing hard here. We're doing our best. I know you don't want to mess up, but you know, a little bit of respect to on that too. And that's why that's why I got me mad, especially on the on the situation that it was and the games that we're playing down on this stretch. So it definitely mattered to me, mattered to this team, and I'm not gonna let things like that, you know, go unnoticed because we're definitely grinding and doing our best out here, and that that needs to be known. Uh, uh, an Angels fan was obviously yelling something at him as he was walking back to the dugout, and he started yelling back at the fan. Like I've I've never seen uh, Julio get engaged like that. with fans, as we yeah. know. Like that's a big part of who he is. That's yeah. the downside of it. Yeah, at first, that was the winker cheer, but back yeah, last year right. walking off the field too. And I was like, what is it with that area? Yeah, well, um, I uh, so if I understand properly, Julio's trying to steal second. Catcher goes to throw. Um, he gets his hand stuck in the home plate umpire's mask. So who, he's not out. He's sent he's back, go back to first base. He he's frustrated because he feels like he stole a bag. It ended up happening again, what, yesterday with Mike Ford in the backswing. And but then he did get thrown out. He eventually yeah. got thrown out on the next stolen base And attempt. that's when he got really mad. Yeah, well, because yeah. he's like, I already stole this bag and this chump <laughs> couldn't do his job back there. I get it. I think ball players and Julio, et cetera, can, can generally live with the fact that umpires are going to blow calls. I mean, it happens. They get mad in the moment, but they kind of understand, like, it's pretty hard to, to call every ball and strike. Like, it, there's a challenge to that. Yeah, and you've been doing, it's been happening your whole life, too. Getting out of the damn way so that you don't get caught in umpire interference. <laughs> yeah, I think that's not too much to ask. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like seeing a little bit of the fire, and it was cool to see Service went marching over to him because he was so fired up after yelling at that fan. And uh, Eugenio was like, hey, I, I got this. Okay. Let me talk uh, the to The arm him. out to Service just like, like hey, 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 let me handle it. We're good here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, service let him do that. Uh, Julio was able to channel that fire into something positive in the third when he hit a double that drove in Dylan Moore and J.P. Crawford to take a 2-0 lead. He ended up going 3-for-4 with two RBI that night. Ty France drove in another run with a single on the top of the eighth. Um, in the bottom of the eighth, Matt Brash allowed a uh, single. Um, then Randall Grichuk grounded into a double play when J.P. Crawford pulled off a diving catch um, that he was able to like shuffle past to Caballero, mm. and then they, Caballero got it to Ty France at first. It was pretty impressive. The stretch and the tool pitch, swinging a ground ball is short. Off to his left, diving stop. JP shovel toss to second. One, the relay to first in time, double play. Holy smokes, JP Crawford, a magician with his glove behind the bag at second, diving to his left. Never made a transfer. He just shoveled the ball out of his glove over to Jose Caballero for the force on Renfro. And Jose's relay to first in time for the fantastic 6-3 double play. How long do we have to talk about J.P. Crawford? I kind of have him in the in the notes for later. And I know he hit a you know, leadoff home run yesterday, which is coming up here in a minute. But he, he's really having a phenomenal year. I met a guy uh, playing golf on Wednesday Young kid, not young kid, like in his 20s, who was telling me he was about to go go work at, at Driveline. Oh, cool. Yeah, he had played baseball and, and was super involved in that world and was like, yeah, I'm actually psyched. I'm starting a new gig at Driveline. I was like, 
they gotta have had a really <laughs> good like between between Crawford and what he's done to bulk up and hit better and stay healthier and even Shohei, you know, mentioning that right. that's where he was in the offseason and obviously and he's Gilbert, continuing right? to do that. Logan Gilbert is a part of it. They, they got a million guys, yeah. but I'm just thinking of a few of the very recent examples we've had of people that have taken their game to the next level and, and you've got to put Crawford there. Now, obviously he's done the work. He's the one who's doing it. Like, I don't mean driveline took a bad player and made him good. They took a good player and helped him bulk up helped him figure out the things he needed to do to, to add strength, stay healthy, to hit the ball yeah. harder and stay healthier and on the field every time. And it's really worked. And, you know, I'll go through this, I guess, in more detail later. But you start looking at all of the guys, all of these big name shortstops that signed deals in the last two years. And Jerry's taking a lot of flack for not signing any of them. You start looking at war and games played this year. Having J.P. Crawford seems pretty good. Yeah. I mean, like, I won't go through all of the guys and they're a war below them, but Story, Baez, Correa, Turner, Bogarts all have lower wins above replacement, according to baseball reference, than Crawford. Three guys are doing better. Corey Seager, who was obviously never going to come here, and, by the way, is now hurt again. Semyon who had a lousy year last year, is having a good year this year, and who they wanted. And unfortunately, he didn't want to come here. He wanted to go to Texas. And then Dansby Swanson has just been moderately better and, again, playing in a hitter's ballpark in Chicago. So that's going to that's gonna lead to some of that. So, okay. When you consider the money that's being paid and how long they are com- committed to all of those players into their 40s versus what you're getting right now from J.P. Crawford, pretty good deal man yeah. he's played some really good baseball and he's a leader and like i mean there's a lot of ands to add to what crawford does it's been a heck of a season for him so far for sure talking about him yesterday how he kind of seems like this isn't why he's successful but he looks like he's kind of grown into that grown man body mm-hmm. in a way you know he's no longer like a 25 year old scrawny trying to add weight here and there and do too much and be too much he's just comfortable he is who he is and he's playing extremely well. Yeah. Well, I think he had to. I don't know. I don't think that he just filled out. I think he's too old for that. I think he had to work to get that because he has a slight frame to begin with. True. He's slender. But something about it. Slender. Slender. Um, Good word. Things again got a little too close for comfort in the ninth because that's how chaos ball works, right? Um, with two outs already, Munoz allowed a walk and a single, and then Brandon Jury hit a ground rule double to pull within one run. Munoz then intentionally walked Mickey Moniak before striking out Hunter Renfro for the 3-2 win. Baseball yeah. Hunter Renfro, by the way. Not not football <laughs> nope, Hunter nope. Renfro. That was a stressful, yeah. stressful still, situation. Still the weirdest thing. How is it possible there are two professional athletes named Hunter Renfro? <laughs> We're Certainly talking about the stress ha- of the game and Salt still stuck on Hunter I didn't see the game on Saturday. What do you want me to say? How freaking weird is it that there are two guys in professional sports named Hunter Renfro? <laughs> One's with a W, though. It's even weirder that they're spelled differently. <laughs> that makes it even stranger, Mora. <laughs> there are probably several of those, right? Askins that share names. Yeah, but that is a, like, it's one thing when it's like two Matt Smiths. It's yeah. another when it's two Hunter Renfros. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what are the possible odds of that? One in many billion? <laughs> they might know. be the only two people named Hunter Renfro in the country. Fair. They're both professional right, athletes right. at the same a, time. It's not a Steven. Or a... Dude, that is absolutely freaking bizarre. <laughs> give it to you. All right. <laughs> Moving into Sunday. Astronomical odds. <laughs> 
Uh, we'll talk J.P. Crawford again. He got things started with a first-pitch home run for his 10th of the season, a career high. Uh, the Angels, I wrote the Angles in my notes here, but the I Angels came back in the bottom of the first with a pair of doubles and a single to drive in a run and tie it at 1-1. One one. From there, the runs were hard to come by with both pitchers dialed in. Bryce Miller was went five innings, only giving up one run and striking out 10. Chase Silseth went seven innings, giving up two runs and striking out 12. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez was able to put the M's ahead with the solo shot in the seventh, but in typical fashion for the series, Matt Tice hit one of his own to tie it right back up at 2-2. So to extras we go, and that's when Eugenio Suarez was able to give the M's a one-run lead with a single in the tenth, and Taylor Sacedo was able to close it out. Sacedo looking to pitch the Mariners to a win. No balls, two strikes. He delivers. Swing and a miss. A four-seamer upstairs. Salcedo lets out a yell as the Mariners, the big brooms, baby, they've swept aside the Angels. The M's are rolling. Win number 60 on the year. They've won five in a row. They've won 10 of 12, and they're going home sweeping the Angels. Yeah, it was a pretty good moment, and as we mentioned earlier, kind of got Julio off the hook. That was a bonehead play that he had going first to third on that hit, not sliding into third, kind of taking it for granted a little bit, and then his foot comes off the base. And I saw a text earlier that said it looks like if you watch the replay from a different angle, Mustakas did a really good job of, of he did. kicking him out. But, you know. Still, slide in the bag. Slide in the bag, yeah, and you can take that out. I mean, right like, there. yeah, it's really good. Now, it didn't matter. He Again, Sacedo sure. got the job done in the 10th, but. Job with him a little easier. Hey, that's the best way to learn, man. The best way to learn (laughs) is to screw it up when it doesn't end up coming back to bite you. True. True. Loved it. All right. Well, that's the Mariners weekend, like you said. More more fun than the ones where there's a a loss or two in there. What's that guy's name? Chase Silseth. That's a tough one. I couldn't get it. Sheesh. Silseth. I was saying yesterday, can you imagine if if Seth Smith was still in the league and they had to face each other? Seth Smith versus Chase Silseth? No. It's harder the, the other one way. that used to always get me was Steve Ciszek. Yes. Always, yeah. like, he'd come in to relieve like Chase Sally Silseth. Sells seashells yeah. by the seashore. <laughs> now, in to relieve Silseth is Ciszek and a face Seth Smith. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, before we move on from the Mariners, text here in 949, so California, Orange County. So I've always been a Seattle sports fan. I grew up here. I lived in Orange County for 25 years. The weekend, This weekend is such a dagger for the Angels. The impact may be felt for years. Good. Yeah, oh, sorry. So true. Whatever. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll do some Seahawks here. There wasn't a ton of news out of Friday's mock game. Um, the first team offense scored easily on the second string defense with a couple of deep balls to Metcalf and Jackson Smith and Jigba that set up a DJ Dallas run into the end zone. Um, Boye Mafe had a strip sack of Drew Locke that was recovered by uh, Chenna Nuosu. And then Dre Jones also had a sack. Um, Brady Henderson reported that Artie Burns had a good night, breaking up three passes, going against the first-string offense. We haven't really been talking about him much because there's so much depth at the cornerback position. Um, Then the injury that came out of it was Kenny McIntosh, uh, who's been handling most of the running back load with Charbonnet and Walker sitting out there for a while, suffered a knee injury. Um, He kind of got tackled awkwardly. but it sounds like it's just a sprain, and Pete Carroll says he should be back in a couple weeks. They said that was really good news. And, um, of course, Pete Carroll, in a mock game, on that fumble, challenged it. Of course he did. And it was ruled that he was down by contact, so he won the challenge. Yeah. Pete, <laughs> competed, gotta compete at everything, man. Compete every day. If you're and not then, competing, uh, you're not trying. <laughs> Salk's 
uh, guy Jake Bobo had seven catches for 76 yards in the first Shout out ISL. What's going on, Jake Bobo? Love it. Nice to see. He's going to make this team when it's all said and Justin, done. Justin, I think you might have been off. Uh, uh, they met. So I'll talk to oh. him about about going to his rival high school. Did yep. you guys have tea or anything? Just for Well, I met Jake after practice. Like we did not have tea. We didn't even talk about the teas. I was like, oh, hey, here you're a Belmont Hill guy. And he was like, yeah. No one says that to me. I know. What I, was like, oh, I went to BB&N. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. So it was on. <laughs> it was on right away. Yeah, now nice he's kid. Guy. Really, uh, really nice kid. We talked for a little while. I didn't realize the whole thing of him going to Duke and yeah. before going UCLA. to UCLA. So uh, we told him about Chip and how he'd come on and you know, just talked him up. And he was like, man, I love Chip. <laughs> so it was kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. No, nice guy. I'm rooting for him. All right. Well, we're wrapping up here. I did go Don't to practice yesterday. Don't ever let anybody hear me say that, though, that I'm rooting for a Belmont Hill kid. <laughs> well, you're on the radio. It makes me feel dirty. <laughs> Disgusting. Um, Horrible place. <laughs> I did go out to practice yesterday, but it was a closed practice, so there's not usually a ton we can we can say from mm. that. But uh, Charbonnet was practicing, looked really just looks like a really natural pass catcher. Yeah. He's, and he's speedy when he when he gets going. So, so let me go back to the mock game. So Boya Mafe had a big a big strip sack. That's a huge thing. Like, he has yeah. looked unbelievable so far in camp. He's and been... Carroll's really been... I can see why. Saying that a lot. Saying how much of a difference night and day from year one to year two it's been for him. Look, sometimes people say things and you're like, I don't know, I didn't see that. If you were at camp, you will notice Boya Mafe. Yes. He shows up all the time. He is everywhere. He looks like one of those guys that is starting to get it. And that was always the thing with Mafe, right? Unbelievable athleticism, physical stature, built for the game, etc. But hadn't played a ton of football. So can you get his instincts and his game recognition up to that point where he can play as fast as he is? If that's happened after a year, look out, man. Because you've got a dude who absolutely has like freak show talent, freak show athleticism. That'd be pretty darn cool if it turns into that kind of situation. Thank you, Maura. A great trip around an awesome, awesome weekend here in the Pacific Northwest. Mariners finish up the four-game sweep and uh, at the same time, the Seahawks are uh, out there and getting real darn close to playing some meaningful football games just about a month from now. All right, coming up next, Brock will be in. We got to answer the biggest question, why? Why is this happening? Why is it five weeks of unbelievable baseball after three straight months of dreck? We'll try to figure it out together next. Brock.